While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. He's Chris. And we're uh, and we're joined now by Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. Lieutenant Governor, how are you? Oh, uh... I think we lost the call. <laughs> Whoops. Madam Lieutenant Governor? Hey, you guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? All right. So thanks for joining us this uh, this evening. So um, first things first, you were at the um, Marine Commerce Terminal today with Governor Healy uh, making some announcements on investments that you, you guys are making towards climate action. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It was great to be in New Bedford, a real leader in this offshore wind industry. You know, Mayor Mitchell has been talking about this, setting up the city for success. And we were great. Um, was grateful to be there today to see how the offshore wind industry is coming together on a site that will house marshalling yards for building out the offshore wind. One of the one of the earlier platforms it will be the first, you know, U.S. port to have a full facility facility publicly owned by the Clean Energy Center, dedicated to the production of offshore wind. And uh, we saw the early versions of the cranes on the site getting set up to put the offshore wind turbines together. We know there'll be a, a wind uh, a wind installation vessel arriving shortly, and we're looking to see that site just humming with activity as, uh, we, as we really lead in this climate energy, uh, clean energy uh, industry. Excited about the future there. So it was terrific to sort of see it for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we we um, had originally reached out to your office uh, to talk about uh, some of the work that you you guys are doing uh, to combat the seemingly intractable uh, housing crisis. Um, uh, and I think Chris is going to start off with the first question. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Uh, really well, uh, Governor. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, um, Governor Driscoll, the um, Housing crisis is obviously deep, but one, one piece of it, and I know that Representative um, Chris Markey is from Dartmouth has talked quite a bit about this. It's home ownership and how important it is to have private home ownership and what it can do to a family. Generations of you know people successful come out of a, a privately owned home. What is your administration looking to do to advance home ownership in the Commonwealth? Yeah, thanks so much, Chris, for that question. It's such a, a pivotal issue, not only for folks who are interested in home ownership, but anyone who wants to live in Massachusetts, whether you're uh, working in the hospitality industry, all those jobs that we know are going to happen down at the offshore wind site in New Bedford, folks need an affordable place to live, whether they're renting or whether they're buying. And we know certainly home ownership is key to neighborhood stabilization, to growing family wealth. And young adults, you know, want to be in a position, in a place where they know they can afford to buy a home and create wealth for their family. So we're doing a couple of things. One, we're creating a housing secretariat. We think it's really pivotal that we have somebody who's part of our cabinet that's waking up every day, working on tools to develop additional housing in Massachusetts. Right now, the state has a 200,000 housing unit gap, meaning people are living longer. The amount of housing we need within all of our communities is shy of the number 
And that causes housing prices to be so high, whether you're talking about ownership or rental. So this secretary will be charged with leading on production. If we're 200,000 housing units short, and on average, we're producing about 20,000 housing units a year, it will take decades to catch up, and we can't wait. It's not only key to the social determinants of health to have you know, a safe and accessible roof over your head, but we know it's key to Massachusetts competitiveness. If the folks that, uh, you know, anyone who hands you anything over a counter, anyone who's pouring coffee or beer for a living, folks who are working in the service industry, if they can't afford to live in our communities, it's going to make us less competitive from a workforce perspective. And so we are leaning in to the work ahead, want to work in concert with our cities because so many of our communities, that's where the housing's being built. And then how do we make sure we're thinking about when we say no to housing, who's really being harmed? And what are the tools and resources we can bring to bear to help improve housing productivity, both for renters and for homeowners. Um, it's, it's really critical. We hope more production can help drive some of the pricing to be a more reasonable. And we want to support, you know, the growth of housing across the Commonwealth, even in places where housing is more affordable, Chris, like Western Mass, some parts of Central Mass. It's not more affordable to the people who are living there. So this is, is really key to both the quality of life and the competitiveness of our Commonwealth future. One of the important uh, tools that I know Gateway Cities hope to use, but it feels underutilized, um, is uh, is HDIP funding. And I know you being a mayor of a Gateway City, a former mayor of a Gateway City, are, are familiar with HDIP. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what you guys are looking to do with that? Yeah. Hey, Marcus. I'm so glad you know about HDIP. It stands for Housing Development Incentive Program. And it's a tool that can be put to use in Gateway City to help produce a complementary mix of housing some affordable, but a lot of it market rate. What we were seeing in many of our gateway cities, places like New Bedford and Salem and Lynn and Holyoke, is that the cost of housing um, doesn't equate to the rents that are you know folks are able to charge. The land is so expensive. Building housing is expensive. The cost of materials are going up. And so what consequently was happening, the only type of housing happening in a lot of gateway cities was low-income housing. And look, we need more of that, too. But HDIP is a tool that we can use in gateway cities to help subsidize the cost of housing so that what the rents are paying out can equate to the cost of building the housing. And we've seen thousands of units created in gateway cities, a mix of market rate and affordable to help lead that production that we so desperately need. And in this budget cycle, we went from having $10 million of HDIP tax credit. So this is a credit that goes to individuals who are building housing uh, to 50 million. There's been such a backlog that we know these dollars can be could be put to good use and help revitalize many of our gateway cities. A lot of the housing is being developed downtown or in old factories that are being converted to housing. Also something that can be costly to do. And we're excited about the opportunity to, to really um, rev up this program and produce a lot more housing in our gateway communities. Chris. Um, Lieutenant Governor Driscoll, the, um, one of the components to housing obviously is zoning. Uh, you're, you're a local mayor, so you understand zoning. Um, what, are, what are you and the governor looking to do as far as zoning at the state level um, to try to implement housing uh, priorities? Yeah, thanks, Chris. You know, as much as we want to produce housing at the state level, the state doesn't produce housing. It happens locally. And oftentimes zoning can be a real obstacle if you don't have the type of zoning that you need. You know, there's opportunities through housing choice to support more density in communities that have rail. And we're hoping to partner with communities. It would be great if every city in town had a housing production plan. As I said earlier, like people are living longer and the type of housing you may need 
uh, housing for older adults, housing for the most vulnerable members of our community, housing for, you know, anyone who's, uh, said, as I said before, handing anything to you over a counter, the places you drop off your children or take, help take care of older adults. Those folks can't afford to live in our communities. So, you know, we're really helpful that we can work with communities to partner and provide them smart growth, zoning, technical assistance. Some of the housing choice law has lowered the threshold for zoning reform, whether it's something like accessory dwelling units or 40R, which enables a community to think about where can we support more density? Where can we put more housing? And then how do we partner, whether it's planning uh, infrastructure? Lots of times what's limiting housing is, hey, uh, we need more transportation assistance or we need wastewater or water or sewer assistance. And so we're hoping to be a partner with our cities and towns in recognizing that we need to work together to tackle this housing crisis. And zoning is a key piece of that. So, um, Madam Lieutenant Governor, there was uh, a ballot question proposal um, down here to ask uh, residents whether it, of New Bedford whether or not they support uh, rent stabilization, rent control. Um, obviously, there's a home rule petition before uh, the state house that came from Boston that would require the governor's signature uh, if it were to become law in Boston. What is the Healy Driscoll administration's position on rent control or rent stabilization or really any kind of rent restriction in um, in cities across the Commonwealth? You know, as someone who's been a longtime mayor, I, I, you know, we really support uh, providing communities with the tools that they need. And so we know that uh, there's a lot of communities for whom they think tools like this may be something that they want to have in their toolkit to tackle housing. We also are very supportive of this production issue because we know if we can produce more housing and even preserve the existing affordable housing that we have, that's going to help make it more affordable for families, young adults, seniors to stay in our communities. So much of, you know, of these folks who have helped contribute to the good things that are happening in our communities. So we're watching these things closely. We know there's a lot of toolkits from uh, rent stabilization to uh, other tools like real estate transfer taxes. And so uh, they've got to go through a process, but we, we want to make sure our communities have the tools they need. What, uh, what do you mean by real estate transfer taxes? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, it's been used in uh, in the Cape and Islands, or I should say on the islands, where when you purchase or sell a home, there's a small um, fee associated with it that goes into a pool to support affordable housing. There are a number of communities who are looking at those options. So. You know, we're, we're mindful of um, different tools might be needed in different places. We're trying to understand what that, what those uh, positive impacts can be. And also, you know, work to support resources going to build more housing. We are bullish on production because we know, like, as I said, people are living longer. The need for new housing is significant here. We have not produced the type of housing or enough housing over the last decade. We have a lot of catching up to do in that regard. Chris? Lieutenant um, Governor, just called the uh, Healy administration, your administration, just ended the COVID-19 um, emergency standards. Um, and that, of course, is a great thing. We're, we're finally have that in the rearview mirror. But there is some mopping up left to do. I think in particular, I think we, we covered this when you came down on the campaign trail. Um, we lost a local police officer, Mike, um, to a COVID emergency, he caught it on the job. And that New Bedford police officer died. Mike Cassidy was his name. His wife and daughter are still alive. Because of the little quirk in the law, he was not able to, his family cannot collect the death benefits. We thought that Governor Baker was going to sign it. It got all the way there. But it, it needs a new sponsor. It needs someone to carry it forward. I'm not asking you to comment on the particulars because you don't have them in front of you. But I was wondering if you'd be willing to meet with the Driscoll family 
and maybe some the Cassidy of the family. Police union. Cassidy family. Yeah, I mean, this is really an important issue. You know, not only, you know, we're in a position right now where we can end the public health emergency, but what are the aftermaths? How can we support, you know, our first responders and better understand? Look, there are a lot of community members who unfortunately were impacted by this awful, awful pandemic. Our first um, our first death in Salem when I was mayor was a woman who worked at Market Basket, Market Basket Grocery Store, Vitalina Williams, someone who I would see when I was shopping there. And so these impacts are real. We want to better understand them. I'd be happy to learn more about this particular instance and see if there's something we can do. It's um, it's a travesty what took place. But I also want to, like, there was a lot of resilience as well. And, um, you know, anything we can do as we come out of this to bounce back stronger and as a, as a commonwealth that recognizes some of the impacts and also looks to, you know, support those who, who uh, we know moving forward. You know, we're going to need to provide a little bit of a helping hand is something, uh, you know, happy to talk more about that. Don't know the details on this case, but understand um, it's been a long couple of years. Glad to see this emergency lifted, that we're in a position to do that. But also know there may be, um, you know, impacts that we're going to need to take care of for, for years going forward. Going back to um, going back to the to the con- uh, question on rent control, rent stabilization, I think, um, you know, in Boston in particular, it's, it was a response to um maybe some uh what what they're saying is you know some unscrupulous landlords who are uh, essentially price gouging the commodity in which case this is housing does the healy driscoll administration have a position on the you know the raising of rents in general or whether or not there are unscrupulous landlords that are gouging prices on rents in cities like boston or like new bedford you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm sure there are examples of folks who are buying properties and then raising rents and making it really hard for longtime tenants. You know, in Salem, we have a lot of what we call naturally occurring affordable housing. I used to refer to them as, you know, the somewhat dumpy apartments you may have rented when, when I was in college, right? And mm-hmm. if somebody's buying that and uh, flipping it and putting investment in and then the rents are skyrocketing, we know we're displacing people. And so how can we help address that? I think that sounds like what some of Boston's um, legislation is designed to try and address. And, you know, again, we want to try and support communities with tools. We also want to be mindful of impacts on production. If we're not producing housing, uh, that's going to be a dilemma for us. That's what's got us into this, you know, challenge right now is not having the type of housing we need or enough of it. So we're going to be watching it closely. We, we want to try and be a supportive partner in all of this work. Chris. Lieutenant um, Governor Driscoll, the, um, Fishing industry, of course, is paramount here in New Bedford, but there are competing industries with the wind industry, which is obviously rising up as well in a very needle industry. What is your focus as far as the fishing industry and the wind industry and trying to make them work together? I mean, we see immense opportunities um, for Massachusetts to be a real leader in terms of offshore wind and clean energy and wanting to make sure that it's not a, a, you know, a win here and loss there. Uh, the best thing we can do is be communicating with our fishing industry. They've had a lot of regulations. I, I understand um, how our fishing industry can feel like it's being put on them, but I think these things can coexist, particularly if we have key stakeholders around the table. As we're thinking about the Gulf of Maine uh, and opportunities there and continuing to grow out on the south coast, um, we want to make sure we have the port tools that we need, the assets and the apparatus in our historic port communities, and also see benefits beyond our coastal communities when it comes to, to clean energy and offshore wind. Um, the, the answer is simple. It's not either or, it's both. 
So, um, Madam Lieutenant Governor, uh, the uh, Attorney General Campbell came out uh, today or maybe yesterday. It all blends together. But uh, she came out recently and said that the MBTA communities uh, law is not optional. Um, it is enforceable. And she's looking to enforce it on communities like in southeastern Mass, like Middleborough and Berkeley, that don't want to comply with it. Um, what is the MBTA communities law? Um, and what is the Healy Driscoll's uh, administration's position on on um, its uh, enforceability and whether or not it'll help communities um, uh, with the housing crisis? Yeah, I mean, we support the housing choice law for folks who aren't familiar with it. It is a requirement for any community that has is serviced by the MBTA, um, either with an existing stop or an adjacency to it, to require multifamily zoning as of right within proximity uh, to that to that public uh, transportation area. And it, right, it's a zoning requirement, right? So right now you have to have a plan and then you have to submit to ensuring that you have zoning that would enable multifamily homes to be built um, and to do so in a way that's uh, not requiring extra layers of permitting and delaying that from happening. It doesn't require you to build the housing. It just requires you to have zoning that allows it. And out of 175 communities that need to meet this requirement, all but two complied so far. And so we feel like really positive about the opportunity to leverage what's happening there um, in our communities to support them with the technical assistance they may need. And many communities can provide additional housing options. We know that uh, there is land that's available near our transit stops, and we want to be able to leverage that to create the housing that we know that we need. Um, you know, one of the, the areas that uh, we are fully aligned with Attorney General Campbell is making sure that if you know this law exists, that it certainly is enforced. But we also want to work with communities. So I know we've done outreach to those two communities. The fact that it's only two out of 175, I think, is really positive. And then how can we, you know, support the work moving forward? It's not just the zoning. We actually need the housing to be built as well. Chris. Um Lieutenant Governor Driscoll, the, one of your main functions of the Lieutenant Governor is chairing the Governor's Council which, of course, is where we get all of our fine judges from. Um, what is your administration's philosophy on the judges, and in particular, hiring local judges to serve in the local uh, district courts? If you could expand on that a little bit. You know, absolutely. This is a, a new role for me as lieutenant governor and chairing this governor's council. Important that we have a body that vets uh, in working in concert with the Judicial Nominating Committee, unlike a lot of other states. If you want to take on a judicial appointment here, we want to make sure we're vetting you, that you have the right skills and, and qualifications. And the Governor's Council is a real backstop on all of that because they have to vote on approvals for judicial appointments. So we know that particularly when you're talking about the lower courts, like a district court, the folks who know their communities best and the community values and standards that you hope to keep up are, are typically the folks who live in community. So that's going to be an important consideration. But, uh, you know, having the right professional background, a very diverse portfolio of people. We want to make sure it's not all prosecutors or not all defense counsel and that we're thinking about geographic diversity, diversity of race and experiences as practitioners. That's going to make for a better court system. So we're looking forward to, you know, leaning into that work and that value system. Uh, there aren't any openings right now. Uh, Governor Baker and the Lieutenant Governor Polito, before they left, filled all the vacancies. So we've got a little bit of time. <laughs> oh, shucks. We'll see action. Yeah, it's really good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, as a former defense counsel, I fully support all defense counsel judges, by the way, in district court. <laughs> so, so. I'll bet you do, Marcus. <laughs> it, it's like, to your point, though, it's really important. A lot of people got experience as prosecutors and then 
maybe uh, left the prosecutor's office, the district, local district attorneys to work as defense counsel. And it is really helpful to have a variety of experiences. I say that as a former city solicitor who did a lot of municipal law and land use planning and law. So uh, that that we hope is something we can uh, bring to bear as we think about future judicial appointments. So, um, Madam Lieutenant Governor, uh, just one more question. It, it is pertinent to housing, which has been the sort of the dominant topic of the conversation. Um, but it's also sort of a local issue that's been coming up here. Um, one of the uh, members of the city council here is is moving to end the Community Preservation Act participation for New Bedford. I know Salem's in Community Preservation Act uh, um, a municipality, and uh, I believe it was enacted while you were um, mayor uh, of Salem. How is, how important was that to Salem in some of the development to include housing uh, in in your community? Yeah, it's been a vital tool for a number of communities. You know, if you pass the Community Preservation Act, it requires you to go to the voters and ask to put it on the ballot. You're asking your community members to pay a little bit more in terms of their local surcharge on their property taxes. But what you get for it in return is a pool of resources that can be used for historic preservation, for parks and open space, and for affordable housing. And so for us, especially the last couple of years, we've really leaned in to make sure those resources were utilized to support the addition of affordable housing in our community. And I think cities like New Bedford and Salem, these historic communities, there's so many needs, right? Uh, from the park, rec and open space component, from the historic preservation, and also from affordable housing. So it's been a really key tool. And um, I know Boston just adopted it you know, over the last, the last couple of years. And it, you know, it's something that city and town leaders can you know, work with community members to put on the ballot and adopt. And it can be a vital way to help fund much needed uh, housing options uh, in, in, in a city or town. Lieutenant Governor Driscoll, we appreciate you joining us this evening. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with before I let you go? No, Marcus, it was great to be uh, in New Bedford uh, earlier today. Really felt like there was um, a, a great deal of energy, you know, in the city. A lot of excitement, pent-up demand for the offshore wind industry. And, you know, our coastal communities, our historic ports, our gateway cities need this, you know, this opportunity to get their shot in the arm. For so long, gateway cities were regional hubs or the places we went to. And uh, it was just great to see that, you know, that energy, that innovation happening, places that, you know, for too long uh, have had these assets that weren't fully realized and excited to see it come together. And we'll be back. Can't wait, actually. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thank All right. Bye, Marcus. Bye, Chris. Have a good night. Take care, guys. Thanks. Okay. That was Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. Uh, always appreciate having her on the show. This is the first time as uh, Lieutenant Governor she was on as a candidate during the, uh, during the election season. But um, really incredible depth of knowledge. Uh, you know, you can throw just about any question at her and she will answer it in very specific detail really great guest looking forward to talking with her again soon i gotta hit this break but um we'll take your calls on the other end at 508-996-0500 that's how you can join us this evening we'll also take your messages on the wbsm app so uh stay tuned this is south coast tonight um Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app. That was Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll talking with Chris and me uh, about a few things, um, uh, but mostly centered around their efforts 
to combat the housing crisis. Like she said, 200,000 200, rental units, or two, not rental units, just units in general, 200,000 units of, of housing short. There hasn't, been develop, there hasn't been development in the last decade. A lot of catching up to do. Um, so really interesting conversation. Always enjoy having Lieutenant Governor Driscoll on the program again. First time as Lieutenant Governor, but did have her on um, more than once. Uh, when she was uh, running for office. So 508-996-0500 is in the program. When she said, uh, I'll be down in the South Coast soon, I believe it because they've been down a few times already now. Uh, saw them in Taunton. Saw them in uh, in Taunton and in Dartmouth, at UMass Dartmouth, um, just a few weeks ago, back in New Bedford. I'm sure they'll be there for the feast. Someone will be there for the feast. Um, with the MBTA house, uh, communities law, that one's going to be interesting. Uh, you heard that on the news segment with um, Attorney General Andrea Campbell uh, enforcing, uh, trying to uh, force uh, Berkeley and, and Middleborough uh, into into uh, complying with the MBTA communities law. Now, I reached out to um, Attorney General Campbell's office, and she'll hopefully be joining us sometime in the near future. Um, to discuss that as well because of course those two communities that we were talking about were Middleborough and Berkeley right now what's funny about the MBTA communities law is that it was passed before New Bedford and Fall River became MBTA communities so New Bedford so that would and I would assume would have impacted Fairhaven Dartmouth Freetown etc if it doesn't already impact Freetown because Freetown borders Lakeville I'll have to check on that. But right now, and I think we talked about this with Paul Chase the other day. It doesn't impact Freetown. Oh, it does impact Freetown. Yeah, impacts Freetown. But we talked about this with um, Paul Chase the other day. New Bedford and Fall River would have to be, and by extension, I would assume Dartmouth and Fairhaven would be added because they border... um, uh, New Bedford and Fall River. Dartmouth borders New Bedford and Fall River. I mean, yeah, and Fairhaven borders New Bedford would be added to the MBTA communities law. Um, they would have to be added, basically. So someone would have to bring that forward to add them to that. So um, because it was passed before, obviously, there was that vote that we took, you know, what, last year? to put New Bedford into the MBTA community and thus putting Fairhaven, Dartmouth, et cetera, into the MBTA communities as well. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get the program. Also take your messages on the WBSM app. Um, <laughs> I'm just reading some app chat messages. I got to... Uh, um, we have... Sorry, I'm getting through these app chat messages. Not like the best radio trying to read these. Um, I understand, but I'm sorry. Okay, I will get to your app chat messages once my computer loads again. Oh, caregiver in New Bedford. Love your show. I appreciate that. That's always nice. Oh. Um, 
Free Community College. Okay, so someone's asking, and maybe this is because um, the Healy Driscoll administration does have a um, proposal for Free Community College in their budget, but someone's asking me on the app chat, Free Community College, what happens if they don't graduate? Do they become professional students forever? All right, so there is a proposal just for people who may not know about uh, the Governor Healy's um, Free Community College proposal. My understanding of it is that it is for people who are over 25 years old who have not yet earned a college degree. That's Healy's proposal for Free Community College. What Spilka, what, what, uh, Spilka, um, the Senate president, wants is just straight up free community college in the Commonwealth. Um, you know, her position is we have the money. Why, you know, why means test it, right, basically? Why put the restrictions on it? Um, in terms of, like, professional students forever, uh, I don't think that you get paid for going to free community college. I think the benefit is that it's free. Um, if you don't get, I'm sure there's some restrictions on it, but if you don't get a degree out of that, then, you know, I think that's on you for squandering an opportunity to use a public benefit to advance your earning potential, right? I mean... Frankly, if there's someone that wants to go to community college forever, I I don't I feel like those people are probably few and far between. And I don't really like me personally, I don't really care. Right? I don't know. I don't think it's something to get hung up on. But like I said, if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, that's on you. In, in terms of professional students, I don't think you get paid to go there. I think it's just free. It's just free to go there. If you were to get a salary to go to community college, then maybe we could have that conversation. But um, I understand what you're saying, though. Like, is there a system of accountability for people who may not use that um, resource properly? I understand that. Um, I just don't think one is necessary. But I think if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, that's on you. And you'll suffer the consequences of that by not earning that degree and not and not meeting your potential um but thanks thank you for the question i appreciate that trying to figure out app chat oh the rumors of outlawing gas stoves um i don't think anybody's doing that right now i I think that the the thing is with gas stoves it was like um like it might be something they move towards like if you have a gas stove in your house, right? They're not going to yank it out of the wall. But maybe somewhere down the road, like years and years from now, they may move towards gas stoves that are maybe emit less toxic fumes or may move towards electric stoves being industry standard in new houses. But the people that have gas stoves now in any situation in which gas stoves would not be legal, um, that all that would all be grandfathered in. 
Uh, someone's asking how the how they're saying climate is the biggest crisis when we have people dropping dead from drug overdoses. Um, I guess that's a good question. Uh, I think the frankly, you know, obviously. These things aren't mutually exclusive, right? There is an opioid crisis. There is a housing crisis. There is a climate crisis. Um, to say that the opioid crisis is bigger than the climate crisis, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, in terms of, you know, like the, in terms of the overall impact, I mean, it's it's hard to say, right? Because there's a lot of people losing, losing loved ones to addiction you know, and opioid overdose and all of that. And not to mention like the myriad other issues that come along with it. Obviously, you know, addiction can lead to, you know, lives of crime and all of that. But, um, you know, you get those, you get these 10, 20, 30 year storms that happen, right? And they start happening a lot, a lot more frequently and you start to see people are losing their home. Uh, you know, people are losing their, people are just straight up losing their homes. Like they're going underwater um, because, you know, waterfront properties are basically being eroded. And, you know, all of these, like I said, you used to be unique, rare disasters are happening more frequently. And we start to see droughts that are, you know, um, impacting the food supply. I don't think it's really that crazy to say climate, the climate crisis is the biggest crisis that we have going on. Um, but if you said opioids too, I think, you know, it's hard to fight with you there. Um, so 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. And we'll also take your messages on the WBSM app. The state's position on housing crisis. Wow, yeah, that's tough. You got a lot of work to do. Really want to see outside to... <laughs> Communities outside of 495 to see good luck. I think, I, I don't think, if you're saying the state, um, if you're talking about the state house or whatever, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I think Lieutenant Governor Driscoll is pretty clear about where the Healy Driscoll administration stands on that. Um, but 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Also take your messages on the WBSM app chat uh, is another one. Um, love the Lieutenant Governor. This is a uh, Whaling City resident. Uh Love the lieutenant governor. Remember when she was on when she was a candidate? She was awesome. Um, have her back. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I will. And someone else, um, Steve from Freetown. You have great guests. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then someone's asking me, um, what is their position on rent control uh i i think they they seem to be like didn't she didn't shoot it down right she didn't shoot it down she seemed to say it seemed to be a position that if it got to healy's desk if a home rule petition got through the state house and got through healy's desk they would sign it they would probably say okay well a city passed this the majority of the legislature filed it. I mean, uh, passed it after it was filed. We got to sign it, right? I think they do that. But I don't think it's going to pass the legislature. 508-996-0500 is how you can get the program. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. I'm going to take a break. 
1420 WBSM, where freedom of speech lives. Sure. Transitioning out of the military, it's difficult. Just about everything around you changes. I would get phone calls that brothers were dying. Some of them to suicide. And I'd found myself in another cold cemetery. And I started to wonder if I was next. It's a struggle to know that you're facing challenges, but not be ready to face them. Sleep doesn't come easy. And when it comes, it doesn't last long. You're tired all the time. I didn't reach out for that help, but thank God my wife did. She got me registered for Wounded Warrior Project, talking to somebody that would listen to me and understood my story, helped me realize that it was time to change. There's a new fight, there's a new mission, and that's something I am eternally grateful for. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. Okay, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. Also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Uh, someone got another uh, message. Uh, imagine if you guys interviewed Jeff Deal about housing, LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was funny. <laughs> um, okay. Uh we, um, I think we're, we're caught up on app chats. Might be for now. I'll have to check. Uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll check during the, um, I'll check during the, I'll check during the, uh, during the break, during the news break to see if we, I think we're all caught up on uh, on app chats for now but we'll take your calls too at 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program that or you take your message on the wbsm app chat um and yeah so what i'll do is i'll take a break now and i'll, I'll check i think we have some app chat messages still outstanding so i'll, I'll check on those <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app. Again, thanks to Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll for joining us to talk about all the stuff that they're doing to, um, you know, address the housing crisis. Again, 200,000 units. I didn't know it was that many in the Commonwealth. 200,000 units short of where we should be based on, you know, popu population growth and all of that. So there's some catching up to do. 
and um, hopefully, you know, in the coming years, we can spur enough development and growth to meet that goal of getting 200,000 and beyond in, you know, housing units. Jeez, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's two New Bedfords in two Fall Rivers, right? Four Attleboros. Like four Tauntons. I can't remember how many people are in Taunton. Someone tell me how many people are in Taunton. I want to say 60,000. Know, Fall River is about 89. New Bedford's 106. Attleboro's 50 some odd. Maybe Taunton 60, 70,000. Maybe more. Someone could enlighten me. I'd appreciate it. 508-996-0500. Uh, we'll stick your app chat messages. Uh, lots to talk about. We can continue to... I, by the way, did you hear Lieutenant Governor's, the Lieutenant Governor's position on the CPA as a former Gateway City Mayor in Salem? Have you been to Salem? It's very nice. I went there. I went to Salem in October. So I went in, I went in September and it was really nice. And I went in October. It was crowded. <laughs> so crowded. It was so many people. There's so many people. There's so many. It's insane. It's you can't get you can't get parking anywhere. Uh, there's people. They, they they cut. They literally block streets off. It's just crowds. It's nuts. It's wild. They do really well, and they use. You know, she talked about how the Community Preservation Act funding is is a vital tool to their continued development. It's something that she implemented. You know, as mayor and so something i think to keep in mind as this conversation goes on hopefully stops over the weekend 508-996-0500 or we'll take your app chat messages on the wbsm app i know we've gotten a few app chat messages that have come in and so i'll I'll just read them over the news break and see if we can talk about them in the nine o'clock hour so and we'll also talk about cpa whatever what local stuff Whatever you want.